Shavua Tov to one and all, we begin the tenth and final chapter of Rav Kook's Oros HaMulchama, the lights of the war. And the last chapter is called The Cosmic Scream. The Cosmic Scream. And Rav Kook has led us chapter after chapter looking beyond the horrific World War II. And again, you... One, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Again, you got to put it in context. We're yeah, so used to watching war movies, G.I. Joe, yeah. you know, like it, we've been so inundated with watching murder all the time. Right. You got to go back 100 years ago. You didn't see murder like this. So like it was truly devastating for people, like yeah. incredible. Like how many millions died? I don't know. No, lots, lots, more than ever before. It was unbelievable. But Rav Cook is still able to see what's hidden inside of this. And there's a divine idealism that's coming out. And we're all part of a great uh, historical process that really is focused on the Jewish people. So in essay number 10, Rav Cook is going to present us with an all-encompassing overview which goes one step deeper to the dimensions of war. So let's begin, and this time we get to start out with the exact words of Rav Kook. Rav Kook says, Begedulas ha'olam, in the maturity of the world, behofas ha'ziv shel kedushas Yisrael baromamusa, when the Jewish uh, spark of glory is going to manifest itself, when it's going to really, when we're going to get to the good stuff. There's no room for any harlots. Imposters, basically. Those who are standing on the outside. To establish some institution that confines the light of the Jewish people. Or or to um, try to make any type of mystical illumination or any type of mechanism of faith, that stands outside of the Jewish people. The outpouring of its precious holiness. What he's meaning to say, until right now the light has not been shining for a long time. But Rav Shurki explains that when the light of the Jewish people begins to shine, okay, all the other imposters are thrown out the window. It's not even possible. Who are the imposters? Christianity, Islam, and now we can even add atheism. All the imposters. Why? Because you're not going to be able to anymore. The light is there. The truth is there. And the greatest example was in the days of King Shlomo. The whole world came to Yerushalayim to hear the wisdom of Shlomo. That was it. It was a very brief time, but it was amazing. And again, Rishurki reminds us that Knesset Yisrael means that spiritual force that's inherent within the Jewish people. So when we reach our full maturity, which should happen when Mashiach comes, but Rav Kook is already sensing it a hundred years ago, and, uh, and our whole Weltanschauung will permeate the world. Think about what you think about the world as a Jew. A from Jew who keeps Shabbos. And what you think about the world. Can you imagine if the whole world thought that way? <laughs> so there's no room. No one's going to be a fool to believe an imposter. And look what, what Rav Cook He calls them prostitutes. Why? Because they're prostituting the truth trying to replace the light of Israel and Hashem with some other glimmering light. So when the future light, it's clear, belongs to the Jews, there's no room for this. And there'll be no such word as tolerance. Tolerance for other opinions. There is no other opinion. Okay? Something, you know, Rav Cook. <laughs> Had no idea, who knows, he had no idea how relevant what he was saying because a hundred years ago the world was still fairly normal. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now yeah, you're trying to imagine if Rav Cook was speaking today, what words were coming out of his mouth? 
Okay, there'll be no such thing as gender identification. All these things, all these, all, all this, you know, um, what, abortions, women's rights, all this mission gas, you know, it's, it's, I mean, this, this is stupid. That's what's going to come because what's going to happen, the light of the Jewish people, the light of Hashem and his Torah, the world is going to see that. But did it have to get worse before it got better? Like it sounds like... Oh, it yes, because it's got to get destroyed. When it gets destroyed, then you have... then And and there is the viable option of Yiddishkeit and Hashem. It becomes very clear. Can you imagine that we're not going to have to hear any more Mishigas about climate change? <laughs> like all these things, it's like... It's, it's, it's crazy, right? So, but that's going to happen when the Jewish people radiate with their full power, uh, with the Kedusha that they have, and everyone who is a masquerading that, claiming to have the monopoly of the pr- truth, which all the other religions of the world do, and not just religions, but communism, capitalism, will all be exposed as nothing. That's what, it, when that comes, it's going to all be finished. No one's going to listen to any of this stuff. And you see it's, it's happening. People are, the, the, there is the one benefit of social media. You can, if you're looking for truth, it's a lot easier to find it. Now, if you're looking for falsehoods, it's also a lot easier. But, but it's so, all the corruption of government is coming out in the greatest ways. If you want to see how corrupt everything is. It's now out in the open for anybody to see if they care to see. But uh, obviously there's the opposite, equal and opposite forces of evil. Yes, Dan? I, I, I am always troubled by this because, again, I always get the details. That's my problem. We live in a world filled with nuclear weapons. And it's the, it's the N-word which people do not say. And I see this and I, and I say, okay, how? How is it possible? Our enemies at some point are going to have these things because we're going to need to see open miracles with this. Okay, this is, there's no restart. There's no getting up after after these types of things. And I hear this, and Israel's a little country, and everyone is in there, and it's. it's so what's your question? My question <laughs> is, how can this possibly happen? Okay. The madness of the world and people, and they're sitting. Okay, on, on so annihilation. okay. So let's look at it this way. This week's Parsha, Moshe Rabbeinu, comes to Jewish people and says, we're getting out. So Stan Oppenheimer, who was there 3,000 years ago, said, would, you would have been one of the first skeptics, Stan. I, I don't, I don't, I you would have been, this, you would have been yeah. a Dustin and Aviram. They weren't so bad. You know, I, I mean, from, from their perspective, they didn't believe Moshe was a true savior. But did it, did it happen? Did you figure out how that would happen? No, so why do you have to figure it out this time? Exactly. <laughs> you, you know, you know. why do we have Torah to tell you? We don't have to figure it out. It's going to be. It's going to be. With nuclear, without nuclear, whatever. I mean, it's, it's so easy to figure out the scenarios now. It's like so easy because now everything is going cyber. So all you need, you want the miracle to happen, I could craft you a million and one easy scenarios. <laughs> Israel gets the lead on the cyber. Yeah. So all of a sudden they can everything. turn the, off uh, all the, the switches the, the to all the nuclear the reactors. reactors. The uh, you know, wh- whatever it is, yeah. whatever it is, they can, that's it. Or, you know, Iran shoots a nuclear rocket off at Israel, and of course they have good aim, and they hit right Moscow. <laughs> and Moscow then hits Iran, exactly. right? And then they all hit China, and then that's it. Shalom al Yisrael. And for one good measure, for one measure, they hit Washington and get that one out of there and get all those politicians killed. And then we're fine. Everything's fine. The nuclear waste will not go to Israel. You know, it's 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 very simple. You don't have to worry about these situations. Okay, now why is this all going to happen? Why are all the imposters going to be thrown out? Ki ha'elyon. Because that supernal light, the ziv ha'yichud ha'mu'uchad, and the sparkling of that unique oneness, she is soda elyon. That's all sourced in the upper Hashem or ha'emes b'bechiraso. It's the light of the the emes of His chosen ones, which is us. 
Chaibo lives in it. In other words, the divine unity of Hashem is totally connected with the Jewish people. So again, as he's been saying for weeks and weeks, once the Jewish people are the people we're supposed to be, Hashem will unite with us and this will spread to the world. And this light of Hashem, Harehu Kosher, Biskulas Yisrael. And it is tied up to, there's no translation for this word, the Segulas Yisrael, the charm of the Jewish people. As the Pusik says, um, what's his name said it? Um, Bilam. Hashem Eloikovimo, Hashem, his God is with him, the Jewish people. Utruas Malachbo, the blowing of the trua, and the friendship of Hashem is in them. So this Rev Shirky, Hashem associates, becomes a friend with the people of Israel through the kingdom of Israel. When everything is good, then everyone receives from Knesset Yisrael. We all get this light. So that is why we can't have any charlatans anymore. There's no room for this competing ideology because the Jews will have the monopoly on the word of Hashem in the world. Okay, this is what is, we call the divine selection. Asher bochar banu mikol So just as there's only one God, there's only going to be one way to serve Hashem through the law which he gave to the Jewish people at Sinai. Everything else will be seen as a fantasy, a falsehood, an illusion because that light that's going to come from Hashem through the Jewish people, all the other false doctrines will be exposed for foolishness. And that's what the Rambam writes at the end of the laws of kings, the Rambam says when the messianic king will truly arise and be successful and uplifted and exalted, the nations will all immediately do tshuva and realize that their ancestral heritage is falsehood and that all their prophets and ancestors caused them to err. When the truth really comes out, then and it's and it's heard. You there's nothing to stand up against it. So obviously, we have a little work to go. But all the world's monotheistic religions they stole all their foundations from the Jewish people. Remember, we had that great light, and somehow uh, we allowed these small lights to flicker. But when the light of Israel now goes back to where it's supposed to be. You're going to see these other ones. There's other special over here. As he continues, and he says, How did this all, how do we all get into this mess, so to speak? Well, this was, From the descent of the world and the uh, lowering of the Jewish soul. Because we did things wrong. So that higher unity, we got separated from that source of that oneness. And went above. In other words, the connection we had with Hashem, since we messed up, got separated. And that's what Shirky says. Since the world has decreased in the spiritual power it had, the, remember we talked about Yichud Eloi and Yichud Tatoi, the higher unity, the lower unity. Shema Yisrael is higher unity, Baruch Shem is lower unity. And what does higher unity mean? When the unity of Hashem can be perceived by everybody in the world. Lower unity is we can't. So when the Jews didn't do what they're supposed to do and the higher unity left us, so therefore it was no longer tied to Knesset Yisrael. Right? And then what happened to that great light? Because the amazing light went into hiding, so now the, the faux light, so to speak, there was an opportunity for that to be received. So Ba'ol HaMachayim, Rev. Cook says, in this world, Lo Yafia, that light doesn't shine anymore. Kim has just a glim glow, Shel of the lower unity. And that's the difference between when the Shekhinah really reveals itself in the most powerful way, we call that the higher unity, or when the Shekhinah moves away, we call it the lower unity. And that's what he says, that's the difference between Shema Yisrael and Baruch Shem Kivod Malchusol Yolam Vo'ed. Really, and that's what the Kabbalists say, when we say Shema Yisrael, that's the Yichud Ha'elyon, 
That's the supernal unity in which we're expressing the way things really are, really and truly are. Ishma Yisrael, when, when Yisrael will really hear it. That's why those two first words are so important. Why can't we just say Hashem will Hashem Echad? It's only when Shema Yisrael. When it's Shema Yisrael, when all Jews hear the message, then it'll be clear, Hashem will Hashem Echad. No questions asked. Supernal unity of HaKadosh Baruch in the world. Everyone will see this. There's no way you cannot understand this. That, But that's the theory. The practice is Baruch Shem Kevod Machusol Ilam Vo'ed and we're not exactly sure whose honor it is. Hashem is still there, obviously, because if Hashem wouldn't be here, stand, the whole world would be blowing itself up by now. But that is the Yichud, that is the Baruch Shem. And that's why, you know, unfortunately, it's it's a fact, but it's hard to see it. You understand? But when, the, so the problem is, we did, did not do good. We messed up. The light got concealed. Hashem's light went far away. Now there's this leftover light, so who's going to grab it? That's a grabbing from the lower light. Yeah? Okay, that's a whole okay. other story. And there's a whole other way of looking at it, which he is not going okay. into right now. I think we might talk about it in this week's Parsha class. I think I got an opportunity for that, but that's going to take us off a little okay, bit. So now, Rav Shurki gives an example of this Yichud Tachton. And he calls this inter, uh, what's interreligious brotherhood? What, what's the fancy term they call it? No, ecumenicism. Um, yeah. Interfaith ecumenicism. I can't pronounce Ecumenity. Ecumenity. That means the Christians, the Protestants, the Jews, we all get together. You know why? Because it's all one God. Right? So they say, we're all talking about the same God. So what are we fighting about it? Why can't we all get together? Because we don't understand this God anyway. So, so this is what we call the lower unity. We don't really experience Hashem. But you theorize about Hashem. Okay, so this, now obviously everything that's a corruption has to have a source of holiness. So the light isn't strong enough, so we make mistakes. How will there never be ecumenical get-togethers when Mashiach comes? It's just not, it's going to be so easy. When the Mashiach comes, and everyone says Mashiach, Yoshka's done. It's like, forget it. He ain't Every, coming, he ain't coming he, back. It, no, they, they, they have to say, Zach, when the real Mashiach comes, yeah, that's the and thing. everybody says, he's the Messiah. Look, maybe the wars have stopped. Maybe they would just call him. No, but he's got a long strimal and a beard and this, and he's got a kippah, whatever he's got. He keeps 613 mitzvahs, you know? And and he says, you know, first thing we do is burn the... Uh, burn the... Uh, burned the, what do you call it, the Vatican, and things like that, you know. So it's, it's going to be clear. Another example of Yichud Tachton, Rav Shurkik, is a fascinating idea. Modern Hebrew, very easy, that's another interesting one he calls. And he says, well, you know, there's a lot of different names we have for Hashem. Hashem, Eloikim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKel, HaMelech, etc. And we don't really understand the differences between those names. All right, you have all these kinds of names, and it's hard to really understand this. And that's what the Navi says, you know, when times are bad, we don't really understand the truth of Hashem, etc., etc. But when, uh, but when we get to the real, real deal, it's the Yudei Vavei, and it's really clear to all of us. And therefore, um, it's you know, so when you have modern Hebrew, you talk about God, they just say God. They don't know what they're talking about over here. Which word do they use? What's the modern Hebrew? Do they use your name? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, some of these things I can skip. They're really not so uh, um, I don't know, easy for us to understand what he's saying. But uh, but he says, but this man hashros hashchina, when we have this upper light, okay, so he says we will not only commit ourselves to God in truth and seriously, but this revelation is revealed precisely through the people of Israel. And the time of the removal of the Shekhinah, then the people as a whole feel they have something to say about the matter, right? And that's the idea of us falling into foreign hands, where the Gemara says, for example, when the Torah was translated into Greek, darkness filled the world for three days. 
And the question of the matter is, why? What was so bad? So the Torah being translated Greek is an example of the lower unity, where it's not expressed. It says, why? So, but wait a minute, the Gemara says, if you want to translate the Torah, you can write a Sefer Torah in Greek. So if you can write a Sefer Torah in Greek, why was the world in darkness when the Torah got translated? So the answer is what Talmai Philadelphus had in mind when he told the rabbis, he wanted the Torah to become part of Greek culture. In other words, Greek philosophy was the main philosophy, and Judy, the Judaic practice and the Judaic Bible can fit under the great understanding and philosophy of Greece. And that was a terrible thing, because I want to take the Torah and fit it into a Greek mindset. But when Jews take a Sefer Torah and they write it in Greek, is to take, because remember, Greece has a certain degree of beauty. There is a certain beauty to Greece. Even their language has a certain degree of beauty. So we're trying to take that beauty and enhance the beauty of the Torah. We're taking the Greek and making that part of our Torah, not the Torah part of Greek. That was the difference that happens. So therefore, and then the Gemara, then he says, well, so, so what's so bad about translating the Torah to Greek? Okay. Again, what does that show? It shows the transformation of the Torah from the Greek side into a book that belongs to general culture. And therefore, there's several versions. And then you get to the Christian Bible. Yeah. In other words, and really what he doesn't say, which I certainly would say, is that you cannot translate the Lashon HaKodesh properly. Lashon HaKodesh, the holy tongue, that is Mamish Yehuda Eloi. That's the higher unit. Is mamish the will of Hashem as much as you can ever get to that will? And we know that language reflects the creators of the language, the ones who live in that language. Language is an expression of how you understand reality. So the way God understands reality is the true way of understanding reality, and that's Lashon Hakodesh. And therefore, as I say many times, we have lots of trouble with Judaism because we keep using English words to translate Lashon Hakodesh, which is totally wrong. And the, as we've said many times, the worst mistranslation is Simcha. And we don't know what Simcha is, and therefore we don't know how to serve Hashem with Simcha. Because we have these wrong ideas with Simcha. It's with every word. Yeah. So that, that so when you start translating God's Torah, you're already minimizing it, and your mom is just taking a little bit, and that's how the whole thing can get destroyed. Okay. Now, uh... One second, let me make sure I am not skipping things over here. So it, okay, yes, okay, it's all stuff. We did a raise, we'll have to continue. Okay, so basically, the Jews don't do their job, the Shrina leaves, there's a vacuum, everybody takes a little bit of this spirituality, they come up with their own adulteration of what spirituality is, and they say that's what spirituality is, and this is the will of God, and of course, it's not the will of God. They take that will of God and repress humanity with it. So that makes religion a really bad thing. And therefore, things go way, way, way down. And as we said, and and look, as we look through history, right? You had the MS, gets adulterated, goes through all the different religions. Religion becomes repressive. Then what happens in the Renaissance? They want to shoot back and go against religion because religion was so bad. And it was so bad because it really wasn't the MS. So they go to the other side and they become civilized and kind of a balance of civilized Christians and this and that. And then what happens, the whole thing explodes with World War I. Okay, so that's all that happens. So now, while that's still happening, what are the Jews experiencing? So he says, now it's back to Rav Kook. Uknesses Yisrael and the congregation of Israel, tachil tizak bechavala, will begin to cry out in pain. Oy no! Oh, please leave for me, Kiyoifen. My soul is faint. The, the 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 group collective Jewish soul is feeling terrible. I have no strength. Why? Because Raze Torah The secrets of our Torah have been handed over to outsiders. 
When would that happen? That was Christianity, right? Obviously, Christianity came from concepts of Torah. And when they began to really look at certain Kabbalistic ideas in the wrong way, okay? Now, obviously, the Jews had a Kabbalistic understanding of the Torah. And the Goyim heard a little bit about it because Shemar Yochai and others were teaching the Kabbalah. And, you know, you always have some uh, Jews who, you know, are losers and they wanted, who were the worst uh, enemies of the Jews from Christianity? Were the Jews who went off. And they take all these Kabbalistic ideas. So the secrets got out because the Jews were spreading the hidden mysteries of the Torah and they weren't paying attention as to who was hearing it. So like in this week's Parsha, when Moshe says by Hashem that B'ni B'chori Yisrael, the Jewish people are God's firstborn. So now what does a stupid Goy think that means? What does that mean? God has a child. Oh, God has a son. So now, now we got it. No, no problem. He's got a son. His name is Yashka. Right? Now, obviously, there's a lot of Kabbalah behind what does it mean we're his firstborn? What does it mean to be a firstborn? So what happens is that they go and it, it it, it's mamish. They have, what's the word? Crippled what the Torah is. They've adulterated exactly what the Torah is. And therefore, they see as well that Torah nisrefes, the Torah becomes burnt. Gvilim nisrefim v'osios porchos. The parchment is burning and the letters are flying away. That's what Rav Kook says. Now, what's that an allusion to? The famous story of Rav Hanania ben Trajo. Remember when uh, the Romans wrapped him up in a Torah scroll and he's burning? And they said, what do you see? He said, I see the parchment burning, but the letters are flying away. So what does it mean? What did he really see? Okay, there's a whole reason, question, why was Rabbi Hanani ben Trajon punished so severely? And the answer was, according to different Gomorrahs, he was teaching some of the hidden parts of Torah publicly. To non-Jews. He was teaching, no, not to non-Jews, but it, remember we've learned in the Rambam, for those who are learning the Rambam or Nebuchim with us, when you get to Kabbalistic stuff, metaphysical realities, you're not supposed to publicize it. Right. And he publicized it. And the question is, well, why did he do it? And that's why he got punished. Mm-hmm. And why did he do it? So Shirky says, you know why? He thought the times for Mashiach were coming. Yeah. And when Mashiach comes, the perfect world will come. When the perfect world comes, then he could teach all these secrets. So they really, you have to remember, they really thought Mashiach was coming. They were, you know, uh, what, a couple hundred years after the temple was destroyed. It's about time Mashiach should come by now. And there really was a lot of good simonim because the oral law exploded in the most beautiful way. Kabbalah became something more accessible, relatively speaking, to the public. And they felt there's going to be a time for Mashiach, so let's start teaching people over. Problem is, it was taught to outsiders. It was corrupted. And as much as Rabbi Hanani ben Trajan had wonderful thoughts, it turned out not to be so good. Okay, and then what happened was, for the children of Zion, Hayekorim versus Afer Tachas Peir. You notice Afer is Aleph Peresh, Peir is Pe Aleph Resh, Ash instead of Glory. And that's a Pasuk from Echa, where it says that there, instead of the glory, was ashes. That's why we don't put on Tfilin on Yom Kippur, because Tfilin is called a Peir, a glory. So instead of a glory, we have ashes. That's why we, uh, a Chassan puts a little bit of ashes on his forehead to remember the Chorban. You know, it's so interesting. Besides very religious chassanim, the, the boys are very nervous about this. It's going to wreck every picture. Mm-hmm. Whenever I, I go over there, we never put little ashes. Who's going to mess up my pictures? <laughs> okay. I said, no, just a very little bit. Don't worry. It's not going to make any problem. Shibacher doesn't matter. He's wearing a hat. So. But anyway, so you see that the, that, that the ash is instead of the glory. So... So what happens is the life force, you can imagine what the Shekhinah is feeling when this is all going on, when all the false ideologies are going on in there and where the light of Hashem is not shining in the Gullus and, uh, and the truth of the Torah is, is not being revealed and the secrets are falling out into the worst places 
And you can imagine how does the Shekhinah feel when Madonna says she learns Kabbalah? <laughs> I don't even think okay. it's around like, anymore. What? I, think so. I don't even think it's around anymore. Oh, no. What? Kabbalah? No, no. For the Madonna's thing. Okay, yeah, but you yeah. can go to the Kabbalah Center on Young Street, unfortunately, and it's, it's, it's gobbling up a, a, a innocent people and thinking they're doing the right thing. And it's all these problems, you know. And again, this idea was proved Many times, the Rabbi Levi in the Sefer Kuzari, right, when it gives the story of the Khazar king, he says he started began, beginning with the philosophers to understand things, then he went to the Christians, then he went to the Muslims. Why didn't he go to the Jews? Because he says everybody could see the Jews are not the chosen people because they suffered so much, mm -hmm. right? So there is a great anguish. Now, where is the greatest anguish? Hashem, as it were, in his manifestation of his relationship with us, how does Hashem feel when all this is happening? Everyone's saying, this is the truth of God. Can you imagine how's Hashem feeling when every year he's told that he has a son named Yoshka? You know, how, how, how does God feel? It's like you're, you're guilty of a paternal suit yes. when you didn't even do it. And you have to pay a, a million dollars a year for taking care of the kid. Child support. <laughs> and this guy, this guy's minding his own business. This woman makes up a story, and she has a good storyline. And every year, the guy's got to pay out a million dollars for the kid that's not his. So everyone's saying, it's God's child, it's God's child. What do you think Hashem's feeling? And who is sensitive to that feeling? Well, certain people are sensitive. Are, are we are we to blame because we because we threw we threw him out we threw him out of? Of course, we're to blame, but but right, but what what Lomais is so what's going on? So Rav Cook is is not saying so now. So now, who is sensitive again? Who is sensitive to the pain? How can you tell if someone's sensitive to the pain today? The answer is next paragraph. Coming nevone levav, the wise of heart get up at midnight. They say tikkun chatzos. Now, I know it's a, not an easy thing, and I'm not suggesting we all have to say tikkun chatzos. But tikkun chatzos is not something that was poo-pooed at. Uh, they, uh, for generations, there were special people who said, it's in the your sitter. I don't know if it's in the our scroll sitter. I don't think so. But in a really good sitter, you know, my big, big sitter, it's got tikkun chatzos. It's about 10, 12 big pages. It'll take at least a half an hour to say. And they would get up and say, Tikkun Chatzos. And we're basically crying out for the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. You know, but, uh, you know, we're still working on Shachris, Mincha, and Marv. You know, once we got that solid and we're really excited about that, maybe we can start thinking about Tikkun Chatzos. Somebody once asked me, a very precious soul, asked me, should I start saying Tikkun Chatzos? And it was coming from a good place. I said, you know, let's let's tell me when you're really solid with Shachris Minchumar. Then we'll talk about Tikkun Chatzos, because you know, first of all, it's it's just really going to mess up your schedule. Yeah. Because Tikkun Chatzos is not exactly at twelve o'clock in the summertime. It can be at one thirty, and that takes a half an hour. But then again, the Jews of yore, uh, they way way a proper Jew used to live. So it got dark at about seven o'clock. You came home, you davened Mariv, you said Shema, you learned for an hour, by 8 o'clock you went to sleep. Right? At 1 o'clock you got up for the day. You got up, you said Tikkun Chatzos, and then you spent the rest of the night well, learning Torah, saying Tehillim, and then you went on with your day. All right? But, you know, of course you could go to sleep afterwards. I can imagine how, how we work after a Shavuos night. And how that wrecks our whole week. If you imagine did that every day. But then I had a question, why would they do it at midnight? So I have a big typo over here. Very bad typo. The question is, so first of all, why precisely at, at, at midnight? Because the question is, when does day begin? So you see my typo over there. Should say, when does it begin? At sunrise or at dawn? That's one question. Dawn is a state when the first rays of light appear in the morning. Sunrise is just where the sun has already fully appeared in the sky. So most of us understand that's when day starts. But for the great holy people, 
it can be said that the day also begins at midnight. Because at that time, the point of the earth where there is midnight begins to turn towards the light. Until midnight, you turn to the darkness, and after midnight, you turn to the light, even though you don't see it. That is, in the depths of the darkness, there's the hidden segula point. He calls it the segula point, that unique point that the Kabbalists sense. After all, how do you know when it's midnight when there are no clocks? That was the first problem. How can you know when Chatzos is? Yeah. Before we had the nautical uh, measurements, before we had the maismanim.com, what do you know when Chatzos is? Yeah, can't use a sundial. And, and, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so what do you do? They instinctively knew when it was midnight. They felt something was changing. The energies were, were changing. And that's what it says in Tehillim. I get up at midnight to thank you. This idea of tikkun chatzos. So the real tzaddikim felt this. The real tzaddikim would say tikkun chatzos. There's many stories of, of, of some hidden tzaddikim. If you get the, it's a very good set of books to get called uh, Yerushalayim Shel Milo. And what the English is called, uh, the Jerusalem heaven of Jerusalem and heaven it's translated into English five volumes it talks about how the Jews in the old Yishuv lived they were very special Jews and one of them was uh, a question there was 13 Sadiqim Yerushalayim they all had a copper key and there was this place and I'm obviously talking more than, more than 100 years ago Jerusalem was not developed at all not very much so there was this whole ruin area that had a little gate, and that's where these tzaddikim would go at midnight to say tikkun chatzos. And when they died, they died with the copper key in their hand. Lots of stories about holy people that really went to do tikkun chatzos. So what's going on over here is, you know, there's a lot to mourn. The, the shechina is mourning bitterly. And these tzaddikim, these Kabbalists, says, um, Rav Cook. just want to make sure we're next up. With their hands on their loins like a woman giving birth. In other words, the Kabbalists can sense the pain that's going on. They want the Mashiach to come. And the pains of the tzaddikim that are yearning for the Beis HaMikdash to be rebuilt is like the birth labor pains. So look what, they're, look what they are feeling. They are feeling, they're suffering like a woman giving childbirth. For what? Says Rav Kook. For the trouble of the world. Tzaras Yisrael. The Tzaras for the Jewish people. Tzaras HaShchina. The suffering of the Shechina. Tzaras HaTorah. For the suffering of the Torah. They cry and cry. These are the four things that the Kabbalists understand to be to cry for. And here is again where Rav Kook senses this. As the First World War, Rav Kook is in Switzerland, which was neutral. He was not involved in any of the fighting, but he was totally overwhelmed by all this suffering. And what he really is, is alluding to is, is that finally all that suffering for hundreds and hundreds of years, finally, the Yodim, says Rav Kook, these Kabbalists know the valley of sorrow, its source, its origin in history. They understand what it is. They know the Shechina during times of trouble. Yodim, they know. All the troubles, all the darknesses. All the rivers of blood that flows. All the hardships, all the wonderings. The scorn and the slander. The wickedness, the spiritual pollution. It's a very faint consequence. From the scream of Hashem, from that pain. The pain of heaven. The pain of the Shechina. All suffering is echoes of the pain that's coming out, the pain of the Shechina. Tsar ha'idealisius, the, the sorrow of the absolute idealism, when it's separated from its source of pleasure. Ha'idealisius ha'elyona, the supernal ideal, idealism, 
Baruchim shall have that uh, has this lofty idealism of what mankind could be. Chuvas Yisrael, the return of the Jews, and the return of a of a serious, bold spirit, Hikshura, that it's all intertwined with. In other words, they understand what the Shekhinah is all about, what it's really connected to, what could all be, and the Shekhinah is screaming. And they're calling everybody to Tshuva. So what Rav Kook is saying, that this colossal spiritual anguish is a, is a scream which comes out in the material world in the form of war. All the screaming, can imagine how much screaming went on in World War I. Add up all the screaming. This is all the screaming that coming from Hashem. And the wise men like Rav Kook understood that the Shekhinah is really screaming, okay? Because Rav Kook was a Kabbalist. He was very close to Hashem. He was very attuned to Hashem. And he understands that the wars is not just something that's geopolitical. There's a deeper cause. He understands that all this bloodshed, all that's happening is just a little taste of the cosmic cry that a Kodesh Baruch Hu is happening. And it's going all the way back to the destruction of the temple. And it's not just because of the walls, because the Shekhinah left and all these things. And that call is a call for tshuva. And what Vakuk was sensing in World War I is a frightened, panic cry in the darkness of the world for rescue. And existence is crying out to Hashem. And the question is, who are the ones that could hear it? And Rav Kook and people like him were hearing it. And then we have to spread the word of what is meant to happen. And that's how, as he said, it's slowly getting us to this place where Everett's is strong and the Tikkun Olam that's supposed to come. And he ends off with the words, And we are unto God and our eyes are unto God. It's a posset that was said in a Mishnah in Sukkah, for those of us who are learning Sukkah, when they would finish the Simchas Beis HaShoeva, the festival of the water drawing, they would say these words. Now, what's the word yud is how much of God's name? Half, right? yud vav So the yud is missing the letters vav which symbolize reality and the present, the way it should be. And that's not the case. The letters yud hey, uh, vav hey also symbolizes the future and the ideal state. So what they really are saying is even though we know that the world is now broken and destroyed, we desire the world to be back the way it's supposed to be. And that was we explained in our c- class on prayer when we say yehei shmei rabah. We should always know when you say why you should have kavona yehei shmei rabah. The Kaddish is so powerful. Kaddish was done after the destruction of Esau Migdash. The word Shmei, spelled Shin Mem Yud Hei, can mean his name, God's name. But really it is, Yehei Shmei means shame, the name. Yud Hei should become Rabba, should become full. Hashem says about Amalek, my name is not full as long as Amalek's in the world. So Yehei Shmei, the shame, Yud Hei of Hashem, should be Rabbah, should become bigger in its fullness. Yomeo Maya. All right? So that's what the people said when they were leaving the base of Mish, even though the world that now is broken and destroyed, and that's what Rav Kook is really saying over here, that was, we were destroyed, but we're looking forward for that time to happen. So that's how he... Rav Kook is saying World War I demands a resurgence of the Jewish people the way it's supposed to be. The Shekhinah was mamish screaming. What's going on? So now Rav Shirky asks a couple of closing questions. He says, is the Sefer Ora Salmachama even valid nowadays? So he says, it's clear that during Rav Kook's time, the book was valid. But the rabbi's claims also valid in our time. The answer is just as our eternal Torah is written in the historical context that existed at that time, 
Is the Torah relevant nowadays? Indeed. Yeah. So is the Sefer Orot. Right? And he gives some examples. When example. did Rabbi write this again? Oh, he's, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago. Okay. In, in that era. Like, yeah. much, because he talks about a lot of things that were happening, you know, at, you know after Yom Kippur War and things right. like that. Okay. So he, he understands this. Now, although certain things change, but there's an ultimate eternal lesson. So the question is, would Rav Cook say these words even today? And the answer is probably yes, because today there's a huge development in all the values of life. And the very fact there are moral falls and loss of way is part of the development of life. And in general, the nature of the world that during every development, there are crises. That's always happens. The question arises, did Rav Cook in composing Sefer Orot come to justify secularism? Which is an interesting. That was one of the criticisms. Yeah. So the answer, not to justify, but to explain. Whereas he's explaining, he's, as 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 we've been saying all Shabbos about no sebol and chaver. You have to look at another Jew. You have to well, number one, see his pain and know where the pain is coming from. So if Hook looks at a secular Jew, that that for sure is painful. But where is it coming from? <coughs> So let's say, for example, when explaining why a child did something bad, that explains that he has such tendencies. These explanations do not come to justify the child, but to explain. So he says, that is, there is a role for secularism and heresy. After all, God is in front of you in everything, and his kingdom is in all its glory. Therefore, those who want to understand God's ways must understand the whole reality. So Rav Cook is saying, if there are Jews who are you know, they, they carry the Shechina with them. They're part of the Tzalem Elohim. And they don't believe in Hashem, but they're building up the state of Israel. I can't write them off. I don't justify them, but I have to understand them. I have to understand why they are doing what they are doing, and that ultimately they are part of Hashem's plans. And that's and that was the the f- philosophical part, as we said, he, he the others parted way with him. And felt you can't involve them at all. But again, as, as we see, history is unfolding. And this is what we mamish. This is now, you know, World War One, World War Two, And now we're going into World War Three. This is not God forbid. Mir Sashem. Mir Sashem. World War Three. This is, we're getting closer. <laughs> it's getting very exciting. It's getting very exciting. Okay. We're getting, we're getting to World War III, how it's going to play itself out. You know, that's a whole other story. But one thing's for sure, without the secular Jews, Israel would not be where it is today. And therefore Hashem has to, is using them. And again, you know, as Hashem will do what he will do, there is a lot of Kiruv possibilities that exist. And Hashem can make every one of those secular Jews create circumstances where they will realize there's Hashem in this world. And that's and that's what we're hoping. And that's we've got to bring out more of the truth, more of the emiss. So Ruf Cook would say, what what should we do now? I'm sure Ruf Cook would say, number one, we're doing very good. We got all these religious soldiers. And you know that's doing good. That's changed the whole army. And it's going to continue to change the army. And you know you got a lot of Haredim who doing a lot of chesed. My wife showed me a, a on a, from one of her chakras, Sue, you probably have it, this guy, this from guy who's raising $10 million for all the families from the war, you should send it out, it's amazing. The chesed that they're doing with the secular Jews, and this is really, this is probably the way Hashem wants this to happen. The secular Jews, how can they see how good the religious Jews are? These are the opportunities that are happening. They're ripe for it. Is this going to be the so, final answer? So in need. It's, I don't know what the final answer is going to be, but we have to do what we have to do. So Rav Cook would, uh, would probably bring the forces out full blare. You know, let's get everybody out and try to create actus and unity. And obviously it's so important. The Sitra Acher is fighting everything he can to stop it. So uh, stay tuned for future results. But the main thing you have to walk away from this is to know everything is going according to plan. 
Okay. We just don't know what the plan it's is. It's all going according to plan. Things we never thought about a hundred years are on our mind. You're thinking about going to Eretz Yisrael. A hundred years ago, it wasn't on your radar. There are more religious people wanting to go to Eretz Yisrael. And when you go there, you know, life is different. Okay, I'm not talking about Tel Aviv. But, but you know, that's, you know and, and chas v'shom. There's ways Hashem can take care of this stand. I don't want to be, you know, you know, it's, Hashem can deal with a lot of things. Let's just hope we we're able to be makar of them. But, but the world is thinking different. We're talking different. The fact that, again, that Canada is so amazing. It's such an amazing country. It's so amazing. You could say from the river to the sea and nobody will stop you. You can now bring in, I think, 25,000 Palestinian refugees who were taught from children to hate Jews and kill Jews are going to come into Canada. Isn't that amazing? And they got the freedom to kill Jews. It's amazing. You know, you talk to uh, 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 some of the MKs in Parliament and you're telling them, you know, we're kind of nervous, you know, because you're really not allowed to own a gun. If you go to a store and say, I want to own a gun for self-defense, they will not sell it for you. Do you know that? In Canada. In Canada. Because I want a gun for sport. They'll give it to you. They'll give it to you. But at the end of the day, when 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 all these Palestinians come to kill you, it's a sport, right? <laughs> so you're going to be breaking the law if you defend yourself. So you got to realize this is the Canada, oh Canada, our home and naive land. Okay, and that's so Hashem is kind of saying, no, no, what are you waiting for? So. Uh, Things are moving. And they're coming from the southern border as well into the states. Too. That's right. That's even worse. That's even worse. Anyway, Mirza Shem, lots to look forward to. Okay, next week we will see. There again, if you have any uh, suggestions, I'm open to them. And if I don't hear any suggestions in a day or two, I will make my own suggestion.